All right, kids, feel free. Head on out, kids' church. Everyone else, turn with me to uh, the book of Song of Solomon in your Bibles. Uh, again, a book in the about the middle section of your text, uh, after Ecclesiastes, I believe, and before Isaiah, uh, right in the middle of your Bible. It, uh, Song of Solomon is a book. If you have been with us, then you know. If you haven't, welcome. Uh, Song of Solomon is essentially a love song uh, between a husband and a wife, uh, between King Solomon of the Old Testament and uh, what I believe is his first wife. And it's a series of love songs. And what we've seen is is a progression throughout the book. So if we can uh, skip to that next slide. Uh, we have kind of walked with this couple, if you will, through the stages of a relationship, if you will. We have seen them attract to one another. We have seen them date uh, in a godly manner, uh, continuing to grow, uh, to get to know one another, and also handling premarital passion well. Uh, we have seen the reward of that um, commitment to purity in the art of intimacy. We took a look at their wedding night, their wedding day, and their wedding night. And then last week we saw this couple fight because we know that marriage, uh, it's not all uh, bliss and heaven all the time. There is conflict. And what we learned last week is how to learn, uh, how to learn how to fight well, how to learn how to fight cleanly is what we looked at last week. And where we're going to be this week is the art of deepening, the art of deepening. So chapter 7 is where we're going to pick up. And it makes sense, logically. Um, I think what we see uh, is this couple is uh, after the honeymoon and before the tomb. That's the stage of their relationship that they are in. Some people think that that maybe they have aged a little bit. I think uh, whether they've aged or not uh, significantly, I think what we see is there is a deepening of their relationship. Uh, They are growing in their relationship, just like we talked about. Uh, this morning. And so chapter 7 of the Song of Solomon is where we're going to meet to be. Um, by way of introduction, and in God's providence, uh, he sent us through our Netflix. Uh, we get Netflix and we uh, got our, a new Netflix, I think, yesterday or maybe uh, on Friday. And in God's providence, he sent us a, a perfect sermon illustration for me. And so we began watching a movie last night called I Hate Valentine's Day. Has anyone ever seen I Hate Valentine's I never have either. In fact, I never heard of it. Uh, but my wife thought it would be good, and so we got it. And uh, it's an independent film uh, with the couple from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Are you familiar with that couple? It's them. That's who it is. And so we started to watch it about 9 o'clock, 9.30 last night, and we maybe made it through a quarter of the movie. That's kind of how we do it now since Asher's around. And so we began this movie, and uh, I, I had a different sermon introduction this morning, but I was never really comfortable with it. And so God in his providence sent, sent us this movie. Uh, and so this movie, it's called I Hate, I Hate Valentine's Day. And you don't have to raise your hand on this, but I am kind of curious. How many of you hate Valentine's Day? Okay, Grant does. Good. Um, Okay, yes, you can raise your hand if you want to be bold about it. None of you husbands should probably raise your hand. Um, I'll be honest. Um, I, 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 I don't like Valentine's Day. It's better since I've been married. I, I can appreciate Valentine's Day more. Um, but when I was single, I hated Valentine's Day for the obvious reason that I was single. And so, you know, most of the time when you're single, you hate Valentine's Day. But I've, I've come to learn, and, and just through various conversations, that some people, even when you're dating someone, or even when you're married, they, guys, I guess I should speak of, probably not true of many women, but guys, I've heard the sentiment, and this is throughout the movie, 
that they hate Valentine's Day because it's so much pressure. You know, it's so much ex- expectation. You have to get it right. And, uh, and so the movie is essentially about this young lady who owns a flower shop. And it's Valentine's Day. is up and coming. A few days, uh, you know, up and coming. And she loves Valentine's Day. Not only because she's a florist, but because she's a romantic at heart. She loves romance. She loves being uh, talked sweet to. She loves Valentine's Day. And so the movie progresses that she meets this guy. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they're going to hook up at some point. Uh, but the interesting thing about it is that this woman loves Valentine's Day. She loves romance. But she doesn't like relationships. She doesn't like relationships. In fact, in the movie, and I've only watched a quarter of it, she has a rule. And her rule is relationships only end in sorrow, only end in heartache, only end in boredom and lack of love and lack of romance. And so she, to protect herself decides that she will only allow a relationship, and she wouldn't even call it that, to go five dates. And so throughout the beginning of the movie, she says, I only date guys five times. And she has them panned out. Like in date one, this happens. Date two, this should happen. Date three. And she says that you go five dates because it's the optimum amount of time to maximize the romance, to maximize the fun in the relationship. And then you end it. She ends it. Five dates. That's it. And she says, because, man, married people, it's so boring and dry and there's no romance. I'm like, okay, five dates. You know, some people might give it five years. But she says five dates. That's it. Because relationships inevitably end up being dry, boring, stale, and without any romance. And so the question I want to ask you is, is that true? Is that accurate? Is her portrayal of, of love and relationships and marriage, is that accurate? Well, I would say, uh, both personally and from the Bible, especially chapters 7 and 8, what we're going to learn is that, sh- that while it is true, oftentimes... It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Not only should it, doesn't, does it not have to be, but it should. It should not be. It should not be. Because what we're going to see as we take a look at the Song of Solomon is ten areas. Uh, they will be on the top of the screen with your text. And so if you have a notebook or anything, you want to jot down these ten areas, you can. They'll correspond with the verses. We're going to look at ten areas of this uh, relationship between Solomon and his wife that deepen, that get better over time, including romance, including their passion, including their fun, including their desire for one another. And so we're going to see that the Song of Solomon debunks uh, this lady in my movie, uh, her view of marriage. And if, I, I will probably watch the rest of it tonight. I would imagine that she's going to change her tune, fall in love, and live happily ever after. That's probably how this movie will end. So, let's go ahead and dive in. Song of Solomon, chapter chapter, uh, chapter 7. Again, we're going to see ten areas of deepening in this first section of our sermon. And then we're going to take a little break. The first area of deepening is that they deepen in their knowledge. I've called it a deepening knowledge of one another. Verse 1. He begins, and he begins verbally praising her. And and as we read through this, it's going to sound eerily similar to their honeymoon nights. Uh, They're speaking to one another. They're passionate with one another. They praise one another. 
another, and it's going to sound very similar. And so he begins by praising his wife. If you remember last time on their honeymoon night, he began praising her from her head down. Well, he's going to reverse that. He's going to begin verbally affirming her character and how she looks uh, from the feet up. And so he begins with her feet. Interestingly enough, he begins with her feet. If you were to ask most people, including probably most women, maybe what is the most unseemly part of their body or unattractive, they might say, my feet. You know, feet is not, are typically things that we find generally attractive in our culture. You know, there aren't many feet models out there as far as I know. But notice what he says, verse 1. How beautiful are your feet in sandals. Oh, noble daughter, oh, prince's daughter. And so the first thing I want us to see is that he deepens in his knowledge of his spouse. Uh, what we see comparing his praise earlier on their wedding night, he praised kind of the more obvious things about her. He praised her hair, her smile, um, her uh, other bodily features, if you will. Uh, he praised some prominent features. But now he praises her feet. He has grown to appreciate and to know his wife's body and her character, I would imagine, more. So there's a deepening of knowledge. And so, spouses, I want to ask you, do you know more about your spouse now than you did five years ago, ten years ago, one year ago, one month ago? Are you growing in knowledge of your spouse? I think uh, from experience... um, and also from talking with people, I think it's very easy for us just to get okay with our spouse. We think we know them well. I've been married almost six years, and I think I know my spouse pretty well. But yesterday, as we were driving to the retreat, we were answering some of the questions that were given to us as homework. And I learned something new about my wife. I learned that as she, when she was a child, her favorite color was what? Um, sea green. I was going to say aqua blue, but that's not right. Sea green. I didn't know that. I didn't know my wife had her rooms painted sea green as a child. After six years, there we go. I'm learning. And so are you learning? Are you trying to learn more about them? Are you, or are you satisfied just with what you know about them? And I would venture to say the more probing questions that you ask of your spouse, the more you're going to discover that they're fun and enjoyable and a little, you know, different than what you thought. And so the first area, there's a deepening of knowledge. Not only is there a deepening of knowledge, but there's a deepening, what I would call a deepening perception. Notice what he calls her at the end of verse 1. There's a deepening of knowledge and a deepening perception of how he sees her. What does he call her at the end of verse 1? Oh, noble daughter, or prince's daughter. Essentially what he's calling her is a princess. He's calling her a queen. And that is how he perceives her. Now, throughout the book, we see he has a lot of different names for her. He calls her my love, my dove, my perfect one, my bride, my sister. And so there are terms of endearment that he perceives her throughout the book. But this, I think, caps them all. Because he says, you're like a queen. When I look at you, my lovely darling wife, I perceive you. My perception of you has grown. I used to think you were great. I used to think you were good. But you are noble. You are like a queen in my household. And he doesn't mean that derogatorily. 
You know what I mean. He doesn't mean it meanly. Thank you. Uh, So there's a deepening perception. Uh, There's a story told by uh, uh, Mark Twain. You're familiar with Mark Twain, of course. And uh, the story is told that he was up in Utah once, uh, and he was involved in a lecture. And he was giving a lecture, and there was a Mormon, of course, in Utah. And they began to kind of get into it a little bit. They began to argue over the issue of polygamy. And, of course, the Mormon said, it's okay, it's God's will, it's, it's, it's right. And Mark Twain said, no, that's not right. And so they went back and forth on it. And the, the Mormon at some point said, can you find me a single passage in the scripture, a single passage that can prove that polygamy is forbidden, it, it, forbidden, it, it's not right. And Mark Twain says, certainly. And he quotes, no man can serve two masters. <laughs> now, uh, I don't. I don't think here that Solomon is calling his wife a, a, a master, so to speak, in this sense, but he sees her as noble, as queenly. The point is, his perception has grown. And so I want to ask those of us who are married, spouses, um, has your perception of your spouse grown in a positive way throughout the years? Do you think of them more highly now than you did? Do you think of them as uh, better, as more valuable, as more lovable, as more noble? Now than you did before? Or do you think less of them? And if you do, if you do think less of them, I really want you to consider why it is that you think less of them. Maybe you got married and you thought she was great and wonderful and perfect, and now you think uh, she's not <laughs> that. Why? Why is that? Well, we are all damaged goods, and that is a part of marriage. We get to know one another, and we get to know uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But I want to challenge you to choose to see the areas of growth, to choose to see the areas that he or she is improving upon, or at least maybe not even declining in. Look at the good, and your perception will deepen. We've seen, number one, a deepening knowledge. He knows her more. A deepening perception. He sees her. He perceives her, diff- uh, perceives to be, uh, her differently. Number three. A deepening of praise. His praise of his wife, I believe, deepens. Now, that may be hard for us to swallow because throughout the book, he has been very verbal. He's praised his wife with exquisite poetry and some interesting images like goats and sheep. You know, interesting to us, but very high praise. But I think now his praise deepens. And he moves upward. He started with his her feet, and he moves up to her thighs. And he says, they are like a masterpiece. He says they are like a piece of art that is skillful. He looks at her, his wife's thighs, which is only something that he would look at. He would know. And he praises them. Notice what he says. Your rounded thighs are like jewels. The work of a master hand, the work of an artist. And so his praise, I think at this point, has been elevated. I mean, this is the best compliment I think he could pro- probably pay her. I mean, he looks at the, the thighs and the midsection of his wife and he says, it looks like Michelangelo sculpted you. That's what he says. And his praise has deepened of her. And so I want to speak specifically to the guys at this point, uh, married men and men who will be married. Um, guys, this is really important. Your praise of your wife, and I'm horrible at this, so I'm preaching to the choir here, needs to grow. It needs to deepen for us, and so has it. Do you praise your wife more often now than you did? Do you praise her for different things than what you once 
did, or do you kind of use the standard line? That's me. I fall into that rut. I use the standard line. And wives don't want the standard line. They want our praise of them, body, soul, and spirit, everything, character, to deepen. They want us to be creative. And his praise of his wife deepens. So, knowledge deepens. Perception deepens. Praise deepens. Number four, appreciation. Number four, his appreciation, I believe, of his wife deepens. And so he's moving up her body and he moves to what I would consider the stomach area. Now, guys, before you quote this uh, to your wife at some point, you might want to be careful. Notice the image he uses in verse two. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. <laughs> Just be careful. You, you, you know what this doesn't mean is your what, baby? Your your belly is so big. Yeah, that's not good. That's that's going to get you kicked out of the bedroom and sleeping on the couch for a while. That's I don't think that's what he means. I don't think he's speaking to the physical element here. I think he's using metaphors. And so here's what I believe he's saying. In Israel, there was an early rain and a late rain. There was an early crop and a late crop. And the early crop was the fruit of the vine, if you will. And the later crop was harvest, wheat, grain. And so what he's saying here, I think he's looking at the wife of his body and he's looking at his wife and he's saying... Just like uh, God's blessings come upon this land when the rains come and the crops come. In the Old Testament, God says, I will bless you with abundant crops if you are obedient to me. And so the crops were considered a blessing from the Lord. And I think what he's saying here is that, sweetheart, of, of all of God's blessings, you are the best. You are God's blessing to me, as I believe what he's saying. And so number four, his appreciation of her has deepened. And so spouses, husbands, wives, wives and husbands-to-be, this is a good idea. Have you lately told your spouse that they are God's blessing to you? That you see them as the very best gift from God? Have you told them that? Have you told them how much you appreciate them? And if you have, have you told them why? Have you specifically said, you are God's blessing to me because? You are the best blessing in my life because X, Y, and Z. His knowledge grows. His praise grows. His appreciation grows. And number five, his attraction grows. I think there is a deepening attraction. Like we said and saw in the movie, um, that's not necessarily the case. You can grow old and in love together and have your uh, passion and your attraction continue to grow. Look what he says in verse three. He continues to move upward on her body and he speaks of her chest and he does so and he uses the same language you'll you'll notice this he uses the same words as on the honeymoon night look with me at verse 3 verse 3 your two breasts are like two fawns twins of a gazelle again a little funny he's calling her chest uh, woodland animals not doesn't translate in our culture, but he's likening uh, the softness and the tenderness of uh, a very sensitive part of his wife. And he's praising her and he's saying that my attraction to you has deepened. I'm still attracted to you. Why does he repeat the same words? Why does he repeat the same words? I think he repeats the same words because he is saying to her, 
Even though your body might have changed throughout the years, and our bodies change throughout the years, I'm learning this already, uh, I'm just as attracted to you now as I was on our wedding night. I think that's what he's saying. And so we see that attraction deepens. Knowledge, perception, praise, appreciation, attraction. Verse 4, next there's a deepening of value. I think there's a deepening of value. He moves upward on her body and he speaks about her neck. And I think what he's going to say is that not only does he, is he attracted to her, not only does he appreciate her, but he values her. Look what he says about her neck in verse 4. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Now, if you remember on the wedding night, he praises her neck and he called her neck on the wedding night the Tower of David, which was a, a big, tall tower. And so what we guess is that this woman has a long neck. Okay, She has a long neck. And he likes it. <laughs> he says, "Distractive." I love your long neck. And he, again, he uses this image of her long neck as a tower. But this time he changes the image and he calls his wife's neck an ivory tower. Now, as far as I know, there are no, there are no ivory towers in Israel because that would be extremely expensive. Ivory was expensive. It was valuable. And so what I believe he's saying here is not only, hey, nice long neck, but what he's saying is when I look at your neck, I'm reminded that I value you. You are expensive to me. You are priceless, if you will. You're priceless to me. And so spouses and spouses to be, um, have you told your spouse this lately? Have you told her that he or she is more valuable to you? than anything else in your life. That if everything got taken away from you, if your kids and your house and your car and your job and your business and your 401k, and if everything goes and she stays and he stays, that you are more valuable than all of those things, I'll be okay. Have you told them that lately? Have you told them that they indeed are more valuable than your friends and your car and your career and your kids and all of those things? Do they know that? Not just from your words, but most importantly, and here's a question for your spouse when you get home or on the way home. Do my actions convey that you are the most valuable thing in my life? That's a good question for you to ask your spouse. For Solomon, yes. So we've seen six things. Knowledge. Perception. Praise, appreciation, attraction, value. Number seven, I think there is a deepening of need. That is, Solomon grows not only in his appreciation of her, but he says, I need you. I grow to realize that I need you as my spouse. He moves up her body and he speaks to her face, starting in verse four, and he begins with her eyes. Notice what he says. He says, your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath, Rabim. Okay, you have to do a little study here, but here's what's going on. I think he's looking at her eyes, and you could say that maybe he's describing the color of her eyes. That's possible. Again, I, I think he's speaking to more there. Heshbon was a hustling, bustling city of the day. It was busy. It was crowded. It was a busy city, big transit uh, a city and so it's a bustling city and outside the city gates which maybe were called Bath Rabim we're not sure outside the city gates were pools and they were like natural spring 
pools that sat, that sat outside the city. And so if you wanted to get outside of the hubbub of the city, you would go here. You would go to the pools near Heshbon. And so what I believe he's doing is he's looking at his wife and he looks at her face and he looks into her eyes and he says, the hustle, my life is hustle and bustle and busyness and people are at me all day long. But when I look at you and when I'm with you, it's like I go outside the gates of the city and I'm in a hot tub, if you will. I'm in a, a pool, an oasis. It's refreshing. It's renewing. It's safe. And I think that's what he's saying. And so husbands, I want to ask you here. Wives, you're going to get it a little bit later in the service. Husbands, I want to ask you here. Have you ever conveyed to your wife that you need her? That you need her. I heard Tommy Nelson say on a sermon that I listened to this week that he was doing um, some counseling. He's a pastor down in Denton, Texas. And he was doing some counseling. He was counseling with a woman who was uh, just beside herself in tears uh, talking with Tommy. And, and, and she was talking about her relationship. And, and this woman said to him, I would give anything if my husband would cry and weep before me just to let me know that he needs me. Um, this is what he's doing. He's saying, I need you. And so, gentlemen, have you ever conveyed that to your wife? You need her. God said that it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created Eve. Have you conveyed that to her, that you need her? Secondarily, men, I think we can very easily make other things in our life pools of Heshbon, if you know what I mean. If we choose to not allow our wife to be pools of Heshbon, we can make other things our getaway, our oasis, if you will. Things like TV. Go home, sit, click, 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 click. It's our oasis. And our wife is not our oasis. Things like mowing, golf, bowling, having a beer with your buddy, whatever it is. What's your oasis, gentlemen? None of those things necessarily are wrong. But they are wrong if that is your oasis and your, if your wife is, are not, is not your pool in Heshbon. So we've seen knowledge, perception, praise, appreciation, attraction, value, need. Number eight, deepening of trust. We continue to see this in verse eight. He continues to speak to her face and he speaks to her nose now. And he says, I think that I trust you more than I did. Notice what he says. Your nose is like... A tower of Lebanon, which looks towards Damascus. Okay, I don't think he's saying, honey, you've got a really big nose. <laughs> and I love it. Maybe he is. That's possible. Um, but I, I, don't think, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think there's more to it here. There uh, apparently were towers, or one tower, in Lebanon. Lebanon essentially was to the north, the northern border of Israel, and it bordered the, the nation of Syria. And so imagine Israel north, and then you have Syria up above, and Damascus is the capital city of Syria. Are you with me? So it's a nation up above Israel, and what he's saying is, is that they would have towers on their borders, and they were used as national defense. It was a watchtower. So if there was ever an invasion, an invading army, which if you look throughout the history of Israel, when armies would come into Israel, they would come in from the north. And so what I think he's getting at is he's looking again at her face. He's peering into the eyes and, and, and now speaking about her nose. And he looks at her nose. And I think what he says is not it's, it's honker. I think what he says is when I look at you, I trust you. 
You're not going to hurt me. It's like a, a tower. It's like a watchtower. You're not going to hurt me. And you're not going to allow anyone else to hurt me. And so, wives, I want to ask you about this. Can your husband say to you that your nose is like a tower of Lebanon? Can they look at you and know that they're safe? That you will not hurt them? That you will not harm them? That you will not damage their reputation by your actions or by your words? That you will not speak ill against them behind their back? Do they feel safe with you? Have, can they say that, wives? That they have a deepening trust in you? Knowledge, perception, praise, appreciation, attraction, value, need, trust. Number nine, captivation. Captivation. Verse five. He, he then turns again to her head and he is at the top of her body now and he speaks of her hair and of her head. And notice what he says. Verse five. Your head crowns you. Your head crowns you like Carmel. And your flowing locks, her hair, are like purple. A king, i.e. him, a king is held captive. Notice that. A king is held captive in the tresses. I don't think that she dyed her hair purple here. I think what he is saying is that when I look at your head... It's like royalty. When I look at your hair, purple was the color of royalty. And so I think he looks at her hair and he says, I see that you are a godly, noble queen. And he, and he looks at her head, which is obviously at the top of her body. And notice the image. It crowns you. What, where do you put a crown? On the person's head. And the crown on the person's head is, is beautiful and attractive and showy. And he says, when I look at your head, it's like a crown. It's beautiful. And he likens it to Carmel. Now, Carmel was a 17-foot, uh, 17, excuse me, 100-foot, that'd be a big difference here, 1,700-foot ridge that ran across the Mediterranean Sea in Israel, and it had a beautiful uh, kind of cliff, like a sea cliff, if you will, if you can imagine, kind of like the ones on the coast of England, if you will, and so it was, it was beautiful. Just a beautiful place. And so if you uh, ever go to Israel or if you were taking someone to Israel and you wanted to show them Israel's holiness, you would go to Jerusalem. Uh, but if you wanted to show them the most beautiful place in Israel, the crown upon the head of the nation of Israel, if you will, you would take them to Carmel. And so high praise. But we, we notice here that there's a deepening captivation. Notice the last line. The king is held captive. He was captivated by her. He looked at her and he ends his praise uh, here in this section by saying, I am captivated. My knees are knocking. Uh, my hands are shaking. I'm captivated by your love. I want to share a quick story with you. Um, there's a, a really short article um, in a newspaper, about, and the author's name, the contri- really a contributor, the contributor's name was Katie Barnes. And I don't think she's famous, but it's a, a newspaper clip. And she tells this story, so I'd like to read it to you because I think it's how Solomon felt. She said, there is a couple, there's a couple that I should always remember from my days at a hospital admitting clerk. The husband, a heart attack victim, was immediately whisked away by the staff. Hours passed, though before his wife was allowed to see him. She was dismayed to find him hooked up to an elaborate machine that blipped and hissed and beat. She tiptoed towards his bed and bending over him whispered, George, I'm here. Then she kissed him. 
Suddenly, there was a blipply blip blip from the equipment. He was okay, she later explained, but after 47 years of marriage, it's nice to know that I can still make his heart skip a beat when I kiss him. Good story. And I think that's what Solomon is saying, is that that is how it's meant to be. And so couples, I want to ask you this. Are you still captivated by your spouse? Do you still feel this way? Is there still the romance or the spark or the captivation in your relationship? Well, if there is, that's fantastic. If there's not, hopefully we'll have a few things here in in a minute to maybe uh, reignite some of those things. And so we're going to end with some real practical helps as to how we can deepen if you will, in our romance uh, of one another. At this point, though, we're going to take a a, a quick break. And so everyone kind of shake a little bit. Ease up. You're not shaking. Yawn. Yeah, move a little bit. Thank you. Thank you, Austin. Uh, And we're going to play a little game. And so, you know, drink your, get a sip of coffee, take a breath here. Um, So participants in our little game, please come forward. We're going to play the not-so-newlywed game. Clap for them. Yay. Come on, guys. Alrighty. We've got six lovely and brave contestants who have agreed uh, to play the not-so-newlywed game with us. And so since we're talking about deepening in our relationship, I thought we would put three of our couples to the test and see if their relationship has deepened in their years together. So we're going to begin, if I may, uh, by asking how many years each has been married, if you would like to share, if you would be happy to do that with us. Ten years. Let me, uh, let's, let's throw this on. Thanks. Ten years, okay. Dan Barb. It'll be 23 next month. Ten, 23? <laughs> 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 we got married in 76, so it's about... <laughs> cool. More than that, huh? Wonderful. 34. Okay, so we've got, some, we've got some variety here. That's good. Feel free, grab some papers. You really only need two. Two per person, one pin per person. And uh, you, you guys know how the newlywed game works, right? Kind of. I think I do. If not, who cares? Uh, we're going to play it my way, uh, the not-so-newlywed game. We're going to ask this couple. Each of them is going to be asked one question. And it's not a hard or embarrassing question, but I'm going to ask first to the husbands and then to the wives. And then uh, after I ask the question to the husbands, the wife will then write, and do not cheat. I know, you can, you know you're right next to your spouse. Please have integrity here. Um, don't cheat. And write what you think your husband is going to say, and then we'll reverse it. Does that make sense? Okay, so when we do that, and once you, when you say your answer, flip it up so the audience can see it. And we're going to begin playing... Not so newlywed game. Here we go. Uh, number one, this is to the guy. Then we'll start over this way and work our way this way. Um, okay, so Nick, question number one for you, and it's going to be for all of you guys. So it's all of you, but I want you to answer first. So guys, all guys, number one, question number one. Um, if you could change jobs, what would your dream job be? Other than what you do currently, you cannot say what you do currently. If you could change jobs, what would it be? Gentlemen? On the clock. Do, 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 do. I'm just kidding. Wrong game. Sorry. <laughs> yes, write it down. Thank you. Yeah. Come on, come on. Wives, write down what you think he will say. Husband's answer. Wives, write what you think he's going to say. And then let me know when you're ready. So they don't have to sing anymore. Um, 
It was good. Sorry, I like it. Thanks. Appreciate that. Okay, looks like we're almost done here. I see pins moving. It's good. If you could change jobs, what would it be? Integrity. <laughs> Nick, you're writing a lot, man. This is like a, a vivid description of what, you know, doctor, nurse, da, 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 da. Okay, Nick, Nick, what is your answer? Share it with us. Rockstar drummer. Rockstar drummer. Oh, yeah. In Cancun. I was going to say, you already are that, but you're just not in Cancun. So, yeah, no, sorry. Okay, uh, Jen, what would your answer be? Boat captain. Okay, that makes sense. He likes to likes the water. Okay. Well, strike number one, but that's okay. You've been married the least. It's okay. <laughs> we'll give you a pass. Dan, what is your answer? Inventor. Oh. Have you invented anything? Lots of things. Okay. No patents yet? Okay. Barb. What we What does it say? Inventor. Wow, that deserves a clap. I am truly impressed by that bar. Well done. Okay, check for you. <laughs> no, I made sure that these questions were different. I, I had the same questions. I made sure they were different. No unfair advantages here. Ralph, what did you say? It's okay. Okay, well, let's just reverse it. What do you think that your wife would say? What did you put? Yep, is that what you put? Okay, what'd you put? Interior decorator. Okay, on the spot, we're going to switch this. Is that what you would have said? Yeah. Okay, you get a point. Yeah! Well done. Good answer. Good answer. Okay, well done. Okay, this time it's going to be just like with that. So the women are going to answer what they think, and then Ralph, you guess what you think she's going to say. Okay, here we go. So, okay, do you have an answer to that, Ralph? She wants to know. We're going to grow in our knowledge here. Moving on. Uh, here we go. Ladies, here is your first question. Um, <laughs> this one might, okay. Yeah, this one might get here. Uh, what percentage of the house work, of the house work at home, of the, of the cleaning and all that stuff, does your husband do? And I want you to put it, to make it a little easier, in percentages of tens. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Are you with me? What percentage of the housework does your husband do? And then husbands... What do you think she's going to put? <laughs> Nick, you ready? I mean, Jen, you ready? <laughs> okay. Ha, ha, ha. 
<laughs> Sorry. Jen, Jen, would you share with us here? 20%. Okay. Nick. 40. <laughs> I knew that would happen. I'm, I'm kind of setting up the husbands here. You'll have to forgive me. Uh, Barb. 10. Okay. Dan. Yeah, well done. Excellent. You guys are plus two. <laughs> okay. Nick. Zero to ten. Okay, so there's a range. <laughs> ten. We'll count that. Yeah, good job. You guys are doing well. Very good. Okay, guys, here we go. Guys, answer this question. If you won the lottery, what would be the first thing that you spend money on? This should be easy. Wives, what would be the first thing that he would spend money on? I just for filler. I asked Shelly this the other day. You know, we I asked her, and we we didn't. We got it wrong. She thought. What you what you say? She thought I would buy season tickets to A&M football, which is a good idea, by the way. Um, I was thinking a house, but you know, priorities here. Um, okay, are we ready? No. Almost. Nick. Okay, pay off debt, buy a boat. Good combo. Oh, well done, well done. Not only is that the same answer, that's a really good answer. Okay, <laughs> well done. Um, uh, Dan. New Goldwing, okay. And Barb. A car, oh. That's... Sorry, nope. <laughs> Not close enough, so. Mm. You're hoping here. <laughs> so you're okay with that answer now. Good. Okay, Ralph. What do you got? What do you got? Spend it on your family, okay? Yeah. Pay off for debt. Buy something. Okay, well, that's close. Pretty close, right? Pretty close. Okay, one more question here. We're going to wrap it up. Um, so this question is to the ladies. Uh, what is your favorite comfort food? And guys, you have to say, what is her favorite comfort food? You guys are doing well, by the way. <laughs> Okay. Are we ready? Okay. Jen, what do you got? McDonald's. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Anything baked? I think mostly McDonald's is fried. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's, that's pretty close. What do we have? Tea. Yeah. What do you got, Dan? Wine. Yeah. <laughs> Had to step up. Okay. <laughs> what do you have, Mick? Yours. Chocolate. That's good. Mexican. Oh. If you eat the two together, it's even better. Mexican, then chocolate. Okay. Let's give them a big round of applause. Thank you guys so much for playing. You all have deepened well. So that's good. Well done. Well done. Okay. So... Now that we're stretched, we're gonna we're gonna take this we're gonna take this on the home stretch, guys. So hang with me. We're gonna continue on and uh, 
Tenth thing. Tenth thing. Remember, I promised ten deepenings. We're on number ten. The last thing we see as we get back to our text, we can get rid of that newlywed thing, is a deepening desire. There is a deepening desire, a deepening passion. So what I want us to see is uh, that this couple, probably likely in their older age, or at least they're more mature, they still desire each other sexually. So, what we're going to see here is four things that women, I think, can take from this text. And then we're going to uh, look at some ideas about rekindling romance. So, numbers, uh, verse 6. He sums up his praise. Verse 6. Solomon says, How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all of your delights. Um, so, he praises her. You're beautiful. You're pleasant. You're great. And then he says, I love your delights. Uh, the word delight here in Hebrew refers to sensual delights. And so he is thinking along those lines. He then voices his desire uh, for intimacy with his wife. Notice what he says in verse 7. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I, I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like the clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath, like apples in your mouth, like the best of wines. This means exactly what you think it means. Thus said. He desires her. Notice then, she responds. And it's, it's real quick in the verse. He says, and your mouth is like the best of wine. And then she picks it up, just like that. And she says this. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. That's like a beer commercial, isn't it? I mean, seriously, she picks it right up. And she says, he says, your love is like wine. And she says, I want to go down smooth. That's what she says. I'm like, that's what she says. And so what I want us to see here, women, is that she is responsive to her husband. Point number one. She's responsive to her husband's advances. And so I want to ask you, what, generally speaking, is your attitude towards your spouse, towards your husband? And towards his, his desire of you, towards his advances towards you. Are you open? Are you willing? Are you responsive? Or are you less than those things? Um, so, so what is it? Which, which is it? Are you responsive or are you not? She is so very responsive. She takes the verse mid-sentence and she picks it right up. So she's responsive. Secondly, we see that she prides herself in her husband's desire. Notice what she says in verse 10. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. So she says, I belong to him and he wants me. That's what she says. He wants me. The word desire in Hebrew, it's the idea of, cons- of eating something. It's the idea of having a strong, that's so hungry that you want to, des- that you want to consume it. Remember uh, way back in Genesis when um, there was Cain and Abel and Abel was about to kill Cain. And God says, you better watch out because sin is crouching at your door and it's like a lion. And it wants its desire Remember that? Its desire is for you. The picture is of a lion, hungry, waiting to eat. A deep passion. And she likens his sexuality to that kind of a desire. And husbands, I think all of you in your mind are saying, yep, that's how it is. (laughs) That's how it is. That's how I feel. And it's right. It's biblical. That's, that's, That's how he feels. But notice, ladies... How, how she thinks of it. She doesn't think it's a nuisance. She doesn't think it's, uh, it's something that's it's gross. She doesn't think that it's, um, 
that it's wrong or, or, or evil or, or annoying or, you know, any of those things. She prides herself in the fact that her husband desires her. And so, number one, she's responsive. Number two, she prides herself in his desire. Number three, she initiates. Notice this in verses 11 through 13. She initiates. And essentially what she says is, you're voicing your desire for me. Let's find a babysitter. Let's find a good hotel. Let's go. Let's go away for the weekend. That's what she says in verses 11 through 13. Read it with me. 11. Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Get away from the city. Let's find a lodging place. Let us go out early into the vineyards and see, notice the images that she's using, whether the vines have budded, whether the grapes, grape blossoms have opened, and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love, referring to her physical intimacy. Verse 13. The mandrakes... An aphrodisiac, the mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all the choicest of fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O oh my beloved. This woman initiates. She says, Let's get out, let's go, find a babysitter. Um, you want me, and that's a good thing, so, so let's go. And so, wives, I just want to usher you a simple challenge. How often do you follow the example of this wife? And my wife and I had a really good frank conversation about this last night, stemming from, the converse, uh, from our, our retreat. And it was good. It was a really good open conversation that we had about this. And one of the things that I told her was, um, as, a, as a male, uh, probably in most marriages, probably in most marriages, guys initiate sexual intimacy. Most of the time. At least... In mine. Uh, and, and I think that's probably true. But when my wife initiates those kind of things, it makes me feel desired and loved and wanted. And, and like I'm not the only one here desirous of this. And it shows that she loves me. And so women, she initiates. Number four, she is creative. Notice, notice verse 13 with me again. Uh, she says she likens their sexuality to fruit, choice fruits. Earlier, he had called them grapes and dates and wine. And so she likens, she likens it to fruit. And notice what she says there. Um, she says, I have laid up some fruit for you, uh, referring, I believe, to sexual experiences that they share in, in marriage, new as well as old. What do you think that means? New as well as old. I think what it means is she's saying... I've got some old, common experiences that we share together that are good and right, but I'm going to be creative. I've got something in store for you, so let's go. To the, let's go. You know, that's what she's saying. And so what I think, ladies, uh, what we see here is that this gives us license within the boundary of marriage to be creative in the bedroom. As long as both are comfortable and it's loving and affirming and good and godly. She says, I've got old fruit and I've got some new fruit for you. And uh, all of the men likely are shaking their heads in agreement in their minds. So we see four things here for the spouse. He wraps up in verses 1 through 4 and essentially he says this. Thanks for sticking with me. 1 through 4. It closes like this. And she speaks. And she speaks to the fact that she she wishes she could be more spontaneous with him. She wishes she could be more free. Verse 1. Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. What? 
She's saying, I want to kiss you, my, my brother, what? Okay, well, this is what's going on. Uh, in Israel now, and I, we assume, I think, back then as well, but now, uh, uh, affection between spouses publicly is like a big no-no. You don't do it. You don't hold hands. You don't, nothing. But amongst family members, brothers and sisters, you could be very affectionate. And so, as it was, I think, in that day. And so she's saying, man, I wish that I could be more free in my affection for you. I wish you were my brother, because then I could hug you and kiss you in public, and no one would slap my hand. That's what she's saying. Moving on, verse 2. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I, I, I want to take you home. She, my mother taught me about love. Verse 3. That's where I want to take you. I would give you spiced wine to drink the juice of my pomegranate, uh, aphrodisiac. Think you know where that's going. Verse 3. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Uh, probably a better translation is a request. Let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. So she desires him. Uh, there's a deepening of desire. And then verse 4. The familiar refrain. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. I think by Solomon. Uh, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. I think this is his way of saying, uh, no, let's wait until we get to the Sheraton. I think that's what he's saying. Um, that's what he's saying. Don't do it in public. Don't you know display affection. Let's just wait. I think that's what he's saying. So we're going to wrap up with this. We, uh, I want to share with you seven tips from Tommy Nelson, and we're going to go. Seven tips from Tommy Nelson. He's a pastor at Den Bible. Years of experience. He is the romance guy. Literally, he, book, he wrote a book called The Book of Romance. So, he's the romance guy. He gives seven helpful hints to deepening desire and romance. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one, be courteous. Be courteous to your spouse, he says. This makes sense. If you're not courteous to your spouse... There's not going to be, you're not going to be attracted to them. If you treat your spouse uh, worse than you do the person at work or in the restaurant, then you're not going to really have a good relationship. So be courteous. Uh, number two, be together. And I think what he means by that is spend time together. Have a date night. Uh, have good, focused conversation. And so what this means, guys, is that you don't take her to Outback and sit her uh, behind the TV so that you can watch ESPN or the game and say, well, yes, honey, well, yeah, you know, focused attention. You're not texting, you're not tweeting, you're not Facebooking. John. Focused attention. Okay, number three. She, he says, be expressive, be expressive. Essentially what he means is, guys, this is really hard. Girls, it's probably more easy, but communicate feelings. Tell her I love you often. Women, this is good for us guys to hear too. But be expressive. Don't be afraid to express what you feel. Number four, be affectionate. Things like hugs, hand, uh, holding hands, uh, you know, uh, pat on the back, you know, just tender, non-sexual kind of touches that convey love. Be affectionate. Number five, be creative, what we just saw. Uh, write notes, bring flowers, surprise him with his favorite meal. Whatever it looks like, be creative. Number six, be thoughtful. Uh, that's simply, I'm coming home from work today. Do we need anything from the grocery store? This is, uh, she comes home and you happen to get home earlier and the dishes are done from the night before, unexpectedly. Being thoughtful. Number seven, be insightful. And I think what he means by this is know how to love your spouse. One of the things we talked about at our marriage retreat is that uh, we have different love languages, a lot of different love languages. Touch, time, words, gifts. Uh, what, what's one I'm missing? Time, I said that, I think. Gifts, affection. Uh, hmm? 
Acts of service. Thank you. That's one of mine. I should know. Acts of service. Um, and and what, what, what he means here is that get to know your, your spouse. For me, acts of service. And so when you do something for me, I feel very loved. Uh, gifts. If you give me something, I feel very loved. Not my wife. My wife, uh, quality time. She wants quality time. She wants me to be there. Uh, words of affirmation. She wants to hear what I think of her. And so if I'm going to be a good, passionate, deepening, desirous kind of a spouse, I need to know those things. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thanks that it's so applicable to our life. Thank you that there are things in your word that we never knew were there, uh, things that we think are uh, relegated for um, uh, dirty talk, things that are relegated for magazines that we shouldn't look at, things that are relegated to movies that we shouldn't watch. Father, thank you that you care about every area of our life. And I pray for all of us in here, for those of us who are married, that we would deepen in our relationship with our spouse, that we not be content, but push to, to grow in all of these areas. And I pray uh, for people here who are single. Uh, if they do get married at some point, I pray, Father, that you would help them to learn beforehand so that they won't make mistakes afterwards. I pray that you would prepare them for that. Again, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.